Hello everybody, welcome to today's episode of Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels. Thanks for joining today's sports show. It's going to be a great one, I can assure you that. We're going to talk about some football, some basketball, some tennis. We're going to take you all around the sports world. First up, it's Chris Miller. We're going to talk about the Oakland Raiders moving to Las Vegas. And Chris has a pretty candid take on the subject. He's from the Bay Area. He's a lifelong Raiders fan. We're going to get into the specifics of the move. What's next for this franchise? What he thinks about a team in Las Vegas? All that and more. We're going to also touch on Colin Kaepernick. He's essentially being blackballed by NFL free agency, by NFL teams. And we'll talk about some other big name free agents. And then Todd Speedburn Robinson is going to come on the show again, a reoccurring guest. And he's going to talk hoops and some tennis. We're going to get into the MVP race, Harvard Westbrook, and some contenders in the National Basketball Association season. All that and more. Not going to want to miss that. It's the Money Mitch Effect. We're off and running on this Friday. Here's the show now. All right, Money Mitch Effect. We're going to talk NFL offseason. Some serious topics to talk about. Chris Miller back again. Chris, I know it's somber terms, but thanks for yeah, joining the Money yeah. Mitch Effect. Hey, thanks for having me back. You know, it's I was wondering when the Raiders were going to make headlines big enough for you to invite me back. I'm sad that this was the particular headline they made, but I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I you know, I always say, and it's true, I feel for the fans of a team when relocation happens. I saw it as a young child, and now you know, it's hard to believe. I think that that Browns team was, what, the last team to really relocate for about, you know, 18 years or so until the Rams did. There was expansion, but right. we hadn't seen it. Now we've seen three it, in the in, last, what, 18 months? Uh, three in, yeah, like two years, basically. Two years. If you count, yeah, more or less, less than that. Well, we, two this year. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Insane. Well, we saw the Chargers move. We talked about that a little bit in detail on this show. The Rams we had mentioned before, but Chris, your Oakland Raiders are going to be the Las Vegas Raiders <laughs> in a move that... We saw it coming. I don't think we saw the announcement coming. We, we thought that there might be a way to salvage the relationship in Oakland. It was clear that Mark Davis and the ownership group was not getting the deal that they wanted from the city of Oakland. Right. And they make the announcement that they're going to move to Las Vegas, though not until 2019. So they have two seasons in Oakland left, two sitting duck seasons, lame duck seasons, however you want to call it. Before they move yeah. to Las Vegas, the arena's not the, the new stadium's not going to be ready until 2020. Where yep. they play in 2019 is a mystery, but Chris, I know you're a diehard Raiders fan, or I should, say, I should say you were, but we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> sure. But did you know, or did you have any sense in the last couple weeks that this was for real, that this was more than likely going to happen? Because it seemed to pick up steam rather quickly. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like it was, unfortunately, an inevitability. I have to say, when Sheldon Adelson, the, the big Vegas um, development mogul and Goldman Sachs pulled out of the original deal. I got uh, definitely a ray of hope. Uh, I was like, "Great, this is not going to happen." But then Bank of America stepped in and said, "Oh, we'll we'll give you the money." And I was like, "Well, once that happened, it definitely seemed inevitable." And then, you know, the the city of Oakland tried to make a last push, and I think Roger Goodell's response more or less was like, "Nope, not enough." And then you saw Goodell respond that way to the city of St. Louis and San Diego. I mean, it's a generic response. If, it, if it's not up to snuff for him, he's going to come out publicly and say it. And 
But kind of cold. I know, it's very cold, <laughs> very cold. But the first thing I want to get into is I want to make an important distinction. Las Vegas, which hasn't had a pro sports team, is now going to have two. They're going to have the yep. NHL team that's going to start next year, and then they're going to have the football team, obviously the Raiders. But there's a big distinction between what happened in the in both those teams arriving in Las Vegas. Raiders are going to play in this stadium, publicly funded. The yeah. Vegas Golden Knights are in the new T-Mobile Arena. Those were private funds. Huge distinction. So the money yeah. that they got for this football stadium was publicly funded. Which, a portion of it is publicly funded. Right, but it's still uh, I think, I a think good I think the city of Vegas is, is pulling up something like $750 million of I mean, it, yeah. That's... Uh, of a one point, almost like a $1.5 billion stadium. So half of it is coming from... Uh, I believe, and I would have to double check my facts, but I'm pretty sure about half of it's coming from Bank of America and, to, to an extent, Mark Davis as well. But you know, that's the thing. Like, when you're getting money, any portion of it, from the city, there was no way, unfortunately, that they weren't going to leave Oakland. Like, it was right. going to happen. He yep. wasn't getting any money. Same as with Spanos in San Diego. They weren't getting any money from the city for the Chargers. Right. And, and you really can't blame the taxpayers for not wanting to pony up money for this new stadium. But you'd like to think that the owners would work together, but it it was clear in this case that Davis just wanted that stadium deal regardless of the city where it was. Yeah, and it sucks because, I mean, being a huge football fan, it's tough when you deal with stuff like this because it's kind of a really big racket, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. These guys get huge amounts of money from taxpayers. Very few of these stadiums are owner-built completely. I mean, you got Jerry World in Dallas... I guess what you can call Cronky World coming oh, to, it's to England. And, he's, and, and make no mistake about it, he's going to try to make it bigger than Jerry World. The, oh, I, and the I hope he does. These billionaires I are hope just he does. Just, just for the traffic in Los Angeles, we need that huge stadium. <laughs> just <laughs> but, to uh, keep people for three to four hours a day. Right. But statistically, the cities that pony up all this tax money, they don't get that money back. I mean, these, these stadiums don't provide the sort of jobs that they claim to. A lot of the jobs are seasonal. A lot of them are part-time or minimum wage, you know, people working in the the food industry, people maybe doing some of the security. But these stadiums aren't, you know, working 24-7-365 like a lot of other jobs. And these owners are raking in all the money. They They get the vending money, they get the parking money. Yeah. And they're under no obligation to do any anything to give any of that money back to the city. So they don't have to do anything like development around the stadium. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. You look around like Glendale, Arizona, where they built, you know, University of Phoenix Stadium and where the Phoenix Coyotes play. There was a lot of immediate development that went into that area. And right. a lot of it's kind of dormant now. I mean, because those, those stadiums aren't being used every day. So right. there's no reason to have restaurants and stuff running all the time. I mean, you need to have a good location. I mean, if I should say, if you're not in a city, like in LA is a hub, you're going to have activity everywhere. Right. Vegas is the same way. If you're near the Strip, you're going to be near right. know, the Livelihood area. But Glendale, Arizona, removed from Phoenix, it's, you're right. I mean, yeah. there's not a whole lot going mm-hmm. on outside of the stadium. Right. I would say, you know, the owners do reap all of this money. The relocation fee from just the three teams, I saw it was about $53 million is what these owners have pocketed. You want to know yeah. why they voted yes on this movement? Because it's money. Yeah. You saw it in the piece that came out about the Rams relocation where there was that brooding war, you know, Cold War between 
old ownership and the young newer ownership, the newer money in the NFL circles. And Jerry Jones was the champion in that room who said, look, it's about making money for us. Yeah. It's why Goodell still has a job because he is great. He's got a lot of flaws, <laughs> but he is great at making money for the owners. Oh, yeah. And when Jerry Jones and Crocky have the money, have the capital to make their own stadium, they do it in a second. They write those billion-dollar checks because they'll reap it all back. Of course. The city, it's it's not quite going to work like that. I can't speak to what the deal exactly that Vegas has, but you'd like to think they're better causes for public money to go to, the school systems and, and whatnot, you know. Oh, of course. Than a stadium for an owner that's already, you know, doing all right for himself. You can say that about any of these stadiums, you know. And here's the funny thing, though. I mean, just talking about Spanos and the, the now Los Angeles Chargers, I think their their relocation fee was something like $650 million. Yeah. And he was like, sure, I'll pay that. Why not put that $650 million towards building a new stadium exactly. in San Diego? Well, how about how much <laughs> less the stadium or the relocation fee was for Davis and the Raiders yeah. than to go to the L.A. market, which had a premium placed on it. I mean, yeah. there's other factors, too. And we're never going to know specifically what went down. But you know Davis, I mean, it's, it's easy for us to say, but he's on the low end wealth-wise of NFL owners. He's, so he's, he had to get a couple for breaks sure. for oh, this yeah. to happen. He's, which is always boggles my mind that, that Mark Davis is one of the, the I don't want to say poor owners. He's still very By rich. relative standards, right. yeah. But I think that's partly because a lot of these owners came from other businesses and then became football owners, where he grew up the son of the owner of the Raiders. But I, I have a hard time feeling bad for Mark Davis. I mean, he grew up, you know... In a PF chain or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he, he grew up, you know, the son of a, of a guy who owned a football team. So, you know, it's not but like across he grew the up bear. in a... Yeah, it's not, it's not like he grew up in a, in a poor neighborhood, like like the area where they're building the new stadium for the Rams in Inglewood. <laughs> yeah, right near the airport, too, so that's going to be interesting. Well, Chris Miller, as I continue on here on the Money Mitch Effect, I, I want to get to the, the personal side of this. Sure. Well, you've been a Raiders fan for so, for so long. Are, are you going to continue to root for this team? You know, it's funny, and I went. I've, I'm still going through like the five stages of grief, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when they first announced the vote, like the first thing that went through my head was, you know, forget this team. You know, like right. forget Mark Davis. I don't want to do anything to support him. I don't want to give any more of my money to him, but. And then it was funny because uh, I was at work and someone was cutting highlights, you know, like best Oakland Raiders moments. And I was watching them and I was like, you know what? Like, I love these guys. I do. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Raider Nation for life. You know, I can't give up on these guys, especially come on, so many years I've been suffering as a fan. Yeah. And it's finally good to give up on them now. Uh, come on. How many times have I told you how much I love Derek Carr? A and lot. Cleo and, and that's what I was wondering. Are you going to... You think ride out those two careers and then maybe call it a call it a <laughs> as a Raider fan? No, no, you know, I mean, okay, there's been a lot of good and bad careers that I've written out as a Raiders fan. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Tim Brown yeah. uh, towards the end of Tim Brown's career, yeah. you know, the tail end of Marcus Allen, uh, right. you know, all what, all like couple years of Jamarcus Russell. Yeah. <laughs> For every Tim know. Brown, there's an Aaron Brooks. <laughs> That's there, right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think the Raiders. Are seconded only by the Browns and the amount of starting quarterback they've had All right. since That's, like the year two thousand, yeah, yeah. and some of them played for both teams. <laughs> so, <laughs> True, oddly enough. And I, I do want to say though, you know, with Mark Davis, you could luck out 
he could end up having to sell the team if it doesn't go that well, if he starts to buy himself to the dead. I know it's not likely, but, you know. Well, and here was my biggest beef with this, with this move, more than just the fact that I'm a Bay Area kid, I grew mm-hmm. up not that far from Oakland Coliseum. To be fair, though, a lot of my childhood, they were the Los Angeles Raiders, and I loved them even then, so I'm going to love them even now. But it just seems like they're basing this so much on, like, oh, people are going to be tourists and they're going to go. But, you know what, people aren't going to travel and spend the money to go to Vegas if this team ends up being a 4-12 and team, a 2-14 and team again. And they're going to have a hard time filling seats for a team that's not performing. Now, fortunately, now they're good. It's not know? the Rams <laughs> moving at that time. It's right. the well, Raiders moving at this time. Well, I think the Rams are a perfect example. Like Their first few of those, those games that they played in the Coliseum this last season were sold out 90,000-plus people, but now you look towards the end of the season yeah. when they when everyone knew they were going to be a 4-12 and 12 team. Yeah, the, the initial flash is, is always going to get you. Right. And, and I just... The first thing about your Raiders fanhood, and I think one of the reasons why I think the reaction around the country is more so, I don't want to say that no one's getting rid of the Raiders, because I think people are moving on, but I think there are more people sticking than most franchises because they were in L.A., they weren't open, they moved around a little bit, and fans like yourself just appreciate the team, appreciate the the tradition, the culture behind being a Raider fan. So I think, while it sucks for people that are from the Bay Area or, you know, have an affinity toward Oakland, live there, uh, support there, the team is moving, but they're not moving on, if that makes sense. They're still there, and they're still going to represent Raider Nation wherever they are. Right. Well, and if you go on social media, like, on Monday or Tuesday, everywhere I looked, it said, you know, we're we're not a state, we're not a city, we're not a county, we're a nation. Yeah. And that's sort of how it is, you know. And... I think that the, the fans who really lucked out, who really made, I think, this move possible was the, the huge Los Angeles fan base. I think they're the ones who really gained from this. They get the team relatively close by. Yeah, a little closer. Maybe even a shorter drive than it would have been for them to get to Inglewood based on Los Angeles traffic. <laughs> you got you to time those Vegas drives, though, yeah, man. You leave rush true. hour, it could be hell. Still, what, what, like a 45-minute flight? Yeah. Um, and most flights out of here are pretty cheap. So I think that was a big part of the motivation. And the fact that they said that the, the Raiders fans travel well was sort of the undoing for Oakland. Is that, that was one of the reasons why the owners were willing to make this vote mm-hmm. is because they knew that no matter what, Raiders fans are going to travel. And I think, too, I agree, but I also think it, it needed to be on the West Coast still. I, I think if you move that team... East or even like I think San Antonio was a city. San Antonio, once. I think, would not afford it. I, yeah, I think it needs to be in this region of the country for that to still continue on because there's a big LA Raider Nation fan base and and I think Derek Carr's response to it was great. He he understands the you know yeah. he gets it he gets it about a lot of things, but understanding that they're always going to you know be true to Oakland, but you know they are going to be playing in Vegas. The Vegas Stadium thing, though, Chris, just to put a bow on this, I think <laughs> I, you know it's funny. I think. You might be able to fill seats based on the casino de- the casino deal. Well, and that's that's one of the things that people were sort of complaining about is a lot of these seats are going to be corporate <laughs> casino box yeah. seats. They're not going to be actual fans. Right. So that's that's the second there. point. I I think you'll have people. I don't know that you'll have actual right. fans, and I don't know that they'll. You can have guys you know, who stay. 
and and gals who who were high rollers at the casino who are just there for the weekend get their tickets count yeah they're like hey you know what we can either give you the prime rib dinner or two tickets to go see the Raiders play you know the Kansas City Chiefs tomorrow and mm-hmm. like oh I'll go see this football game why not let's do that prime rib another day yeah yeah you can have prime rib whatever <laughs> but who's gonna get a chance to see the Raiders play and I think my my other concern and fear when it comes to having the team in Las Vegas is Part of what works for a team when you're when you're recruiting free agents is is the location, and I'm just curious if people are gonna you know if you had to choose between say like a Seattle or you know even a Denver mm-hmm. or Las Vegas. I mean, which city are you gonna really want to move your family? Yeah, to? I would say though for all the sports, football might be the most Vegas friendly in that sense because it's strictly seasonal. You have more months away, like you can be, yeah. you know, from assuming you don't, if you don't make the playoffs, you get eliminated in January or so, you, you pop in and out for camps, you yeah. got a good four, five, six months away from Vegas. I see what you're saying too. It's, but a lot of these guys it's unique. I mean, we don't know. We, we don't know. This is, this is new territory. Right. But like, could be, it could blow up or it could end up working out. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know about the support. I think the Raiders being the franchise that they are will ultimately help them. A yeah. unique franchise with a passionate fan base that just wants to be a part of the game. And, and look, there's only eight home games. Yeah. A lot of L.A. trips up. And only seven of them are actually going to probably be in Vegas because they're yeah. going to keep making the Raiders play in Mexico, Mexico City. City. They went uh, to Wembley a couple times. Yeah. Which, by the way, could be the next city looking at a team now. Yeah. And you know <laughs> so what? They're going overseas. Yeah. And here's a funny thing. This is the, the one thing that really, I think, ticked me off more than anything else after the vote on Monday. Is Mark Davis's haircut? No. <laughs> that always pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. That and the, the weird sore he had on his mouth. Forget that. Um, no, is the owners were talking about after that vote that they were concerned about all these teams that were relocating. Like they, they thought that this was an epidemic that was bothering them. I was like, well, you know what, guys? If you don't like teams moving... Don't keep voting to allow these teams to right. move. It, it's it's so much more. That's a cop out. This is an epidemic. Each one of these teams had publicly <laughs> feud, public feuds with the city they were in. Oh yeah. Over state. This isn't like oh we're gonna we feel like moving today or right. Feel, you know. Oh yeah. This didn't catch anybody out of the blue. That's, no, no. Well, yeah. and the Davis family, to be fair, both Mark and Al have had public feuds with pretty much the entire state of California. Yeah, oh, Al in Los Angeles. He was the wanted man yeah. when he left for and Oakland. It, I think if, if Al Davis was still alive and owning his team, this move doesn't happen because there's no way the owners vote to allow Al Davis to move a team again. Yeah. The fact that they even allowed Mark Davis to do it, I'm surprised. Especially the, the money, man. It has know, to but, be the money. That's but 31 it. to 1 in the votes, that surprised me. I was expecting a lot closer. Uh, I just vote. don't know if it's also... I mean, the league meetings, a lot gets done, a lot of bargaining. Is yeah. this your hill to die on? You know, I, I think that's probably what it comes down to. They just don't care. They'll take the paycheck. It's not worth fighting for. So yeah. of all these votes, maybe it was closer in terms of who really thought this was a good idea, but it's just not worth the for those rich owners fighting for. Yeah. They get a paycheck. They get, you know, you know, it sucks. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling for you. I As I said, you know, the Browns relocated now in my childhood. Now we've got another bunch of relocations. and. Well, the yeah. Browns was such a different story. I mean, that was... I mean, that was before they really even had to vote right to move. Like, he just, right. t- he just took the team and left. He literally... <laughs> he like, I'm out. So, 
I'll give you the I'll give you the clean, <laughs> not explicit Cleveland version. Sure. Was behind closed doors dealings with Baltimore up, upset with the stadium deal, which was kind of ridiculous. And I'm not just saying this as a former Cleveland native, but they moved into a brand new stadium when the Browns came back. Right. So it was would not have been that hard. He wanted a bunch of public money. He didn't get it. And rather than even draft up a bunch of proposals, he scored the deal with Baltimore and announced halfway through that season that they were leaving effective end of the season. So, yeah, it was, and it's the one reason why nobody will ever pass Art Modell as a sports villain in the city of Cleveland. Oh, Not yeah. possible. Like, no matter what any athlete does, <laughs> it isn't possible. When LeBron was in Miami, it did not matter. No one was touching yeah. Art Modell, taking the top sports team out of a city. I mean, I even remember when that happened as a kid, I was angry for the city of Cleveland. Yeah. In part just because the Browns, for me, were Cleveland. Yeah, you know, still, the, still the case. Uh, they, were, with, yeah. they were, well, uh, at least now you have the Indians and the Cavs. Yeah. But, uh, and you still had them then, too. But, I mean, like as far yeah. as like football goes, like mm-hmm. you, the Browns were Cleveland, and they were football, and it was such an iconic team. I mean, and, and a, up until that point, a pretty darn good Browns team, too, to, be, to go along with that. I think any Cleveland fan... I mean, I shouldn't say anyone, but my opinion, and there's a lot of people I think that think like me on this case, it hurt us more to watch Belichick and what this Patriots team is doing with winning than the Ravens winning that first Super Bowl. While the Ravens wow. scouted well, and they, you know, they had a couple holdovers, but it was about you know how they acquired talent and, and you know got that system in place. Sure. Belichick's system was starting to work in Cleveland. Yeah. He won a playoff game the year before. Still, the last time the Browns won a playoff game, they beat Pete Carroll and the Patriots. In the wild card round, they were building motion. That's a great stat, right? I know. Right yeah, they were SI's Super Bowl pick that year, six and two, and then losing their last eight games when Modell announced the move. But that system was starting to work. Now, obviously, getting a guy like Brady, you know, but you got to think that winning culture, that winning culture that Belichick's proven he can win even when Brady's not playing. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. starting to work, and you see what the Patriots are doing. You know, that's things a little more because that should have been us. Oh yeah, for sure. That's interesting. I would. I still would have figured that first time. I mean, that hurt too. But it only hurt to see that smug model. Just. uh, I mean, I I don't want to speak too bad about the dead, but to see him hoist the trophy. Yeah. That just made a lot of people sick. Oh sure, at least I mean at least the NFL did right by the city of Cleveland and gave the you know gave you back the Browns. I mean, obviously the city of Cleveland owned the rights to the name Cleveland Browns. They couldn't take that with them. Yeah. And funny enough, there are people who are actually trying to to get petitions going to sue and keep the name Raiders in Oakland, mm-hmm. which I'd be curious to see if that if that holds up. I think I don't think it will. You know, and if they go and end up becoming the Vegas, whatever, <laughs> then what? Then then I don't know what to do because like I'm, yeah. I'm a Raiders fan. I'm not a Vegas. You know what, fifty one at the baseball team, but still, um, <laughs> yeah, something and, gambling related. Yeah, so they had the Vegas roulette tables, Over you know, <laughs> yeah. 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 the Vegas blackjack, circus, uh, circus, <laughs> circus, circus. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. Well, I don't, I don't want to, you know, dwell too much on the negative. You had a lot of good Oakland memories, and the Raiders are gonna, of course, you know, keep going, and we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I think the future is bright for that team. They got two years in Oakland, so hey. I know you'd like to see yeah. the, the legacy end with a Super Bowl win in one of these next I, two years. They have the team to do it. They definitely, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Derek Carr's got to stay healthy, which mm-hmm. I think he will. 
fingers crossed. You know, they definitely had the potential to go out with a with a huge bang. I would be, I'd be honest, I'll be a little bummed if they get close these last two years and then like their first year or two in Vegas they win. Yeah. You know, that would it's that would a, that would sting a little. It's called the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> exactly. They exactly. Come back and just won the first year there, but no, I yeah, I I, I hope for your sake if it's going to happen, it happens in these next two years and. I do too, but I'd be What honest. kind of reaction are they going to get? I know Davis is going to refund all season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. What kind of reaction is that team? I mean, Davis can't. Can he show his face in that stadium? I don't, I don't think he should, no. I mean, I, I already I had plans this next season to go to a Raiders game in Oakland with a friend of mine who lives up in Washington. I mean, he grew up in the Northwest, mm-hmm. but a Raiders fan. So yeah. he's, he's not necessarily beholden to Oakland or Los Angeles just a Raiders fan, and we were going to go to a game, and now I'm, I'm personally, I'm torn about going, because part of me wants to go because it's the last two seasons in Oakland, and part of me is like, you know, I don't really want to support Mark Davis right now. Mm-hmm. For me, as far as Las Vegas goes, and I've, I've already told, you know, my wife this and stuff, like, I, I personally, I will support the Raiders, I love my team, but I'm never going to go to a game in Las Vegas, okay. period. Like yeah. the, they'll be the Raiders for for me. They won't necessarily be the Las Vegas. So you'll go any other stadium in the country, hypothetically, just not correct that day. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's sad because like my, my daughter is starting to really enjoy watching football, and it's gonna hurt if she's gonna want to go to a home game. I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. mom can take you, but Vegas is a dangerous city. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna take. I'll take her to you know see them play the Los Angeles Rams or the Los Angeles Chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever third team they possibly moved to. <laughs> just, just please stop. Like, come on. Enough is enough. Like, we didn't ask for the Rams. We sure as hell didn't ask for the Chargers. Like, well, at least the Rams are from L.A. Yeah, you know? The I know. Chargers, the no, Chargers right. belong in San Diego. Yeah. Well, it's... And that's a city, too. I mean, San Diego is left with nothing, and... Um, I, I feel worse, I think, for the Chargers fans right now, because... You took. You want to talk about, like, a, a, a pretty passionate fan base. They're not Raiders passionate, mm-hmm. but there's a good fan base. And not only did they lose their team, but they lost their team to a city that doesn't even want them. And at least Las Vegas has yeah. Raiders fans, and at least they were wanted there. I don't feel like the Chargers were wanted in Los Angeles. They no. just came anywhere. Yeah, what, I mean, it should have been the Raiders yeah. and the Rams here, in my in my mind. And I that I would have been okay with. Because they had roots here. And, yeah. yeah. Of course. Well... It's a tough situation. Thanks, Chris Miller, for opening up to it. But yeah, you know, of course, it's it's tough. Before before we wrap this up on the money, Mitch. In fact, I do want to talk about some other football story. I still got a lot of big name free agents out there. I know. You know, there's a lot to to digest there. AP. I, I did, I, yeah, AP and Jamal Charles. We're gonna get to them in a second. But I want to ask you, as we'll keep it on the more serious term, probably the more, more one of the more serious conversations we've had. Do you honestly think? Well, I'm gonna open this up to you. Sure. Kaepernick's getting blackballed by the NFL. You know... It's a tough question to answer. I've I've had this conversation over and over again with different people, looking at different sides. I think there is an element there. Here's the thing, though. like Jim Harbaugh himself, who coached Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, said that the idea that he's being blackballed because of him kneeling down for the national anthem is just a ridiculous notion. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to sort of agree with him. I, I, I'm not saying that that doesn't somewhat play into, into what's going on. But here's the thing with Kaepernick. 
He's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, in my mind. Uh, and he's a system quarterback. He, he belongs in a particular system, and not a lot of teams play that kind right. of kind of football. And I think he wants to be a starter. I think most people are looking at him as, as a backup, but he wants starter money like he was getting in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of teams don't want to give that to him. But honestly, like... I think he would. He could definitely go to a team like a Carolina, and play back up to Cam Newton. I think that would be a great situation for him if they can somehow work that out. If I don't know, if Carolina's looking for a backup quarterback right now, but he needs to go to 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 some place like that, you know, or like a Dallas where yeah. where they play with a mobile quarterback. Right. And I think that's the biggest part of it. You know, it's it's tough because, you know, you look at guys like. Greg Hardy, who who got a second chance, you know, mm-hmm. playing in Dallas, and you know a lot of players who who have sketchy backgrounds who have gotten second chances. Alton Smith in Oakland, uh-huh. uh, for example. So I think the league has shown that they're willing to give players, a chance, but he hasn't done anything wrong character wise. That's yeah. that's what kills me. It's like he hasn't done anything bad. He's actually doing good things in my mind. Right. He's changed his. His reputation, because he did have that little bit of a rough patch early. A couple, I think he got arrested with a lot Ricardo Lockett oh, yeah, time, yeah. Uh, back in the day. One thing to, to to start this conversation with, he was the one that opted out of his contract. Correct. So he had a deal on the table and wanted out because, like you said, I think he views himself as a starter. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth to the notion that he's a system quarterback. That you know. Tebow is the name that keeps getting brought up. Two different paths, two different you know career arcs. But what was similar with them was that you really can't bring them in just to back up anybody. They're not that generic right. quarterback room quarterback. You need to cater your entire offense around both Kaepernick and Tebow. And I think right. that's an element as to why teams are saying, we'd rather just take Mike Glenn. We'd rather just take Mark Sanchez. Because you know what? We're not signing this guy to be the face of our franchise. Right. Distractions... I, I think there's an element of the fact that if you're not that good, if you're the backup, we don't need this. We don't need right. to deal. The, the the risks take over Definitely. the reward. Definitely. If he was at Aaron Rodgers' level, if he was at Tom Brady's level, he'd be signed immediately. Hands down. You know, it wouldn't matter what, what was going on. So right. I think the last thing people don't don't really comprehend, too, Chris, you know this covering football, like there's not that many quarterback jobs. Yeah, you, we mentioned names. I like, there's only 32. Yeah, to be there, well, you know, 60. Okay, so 64, 64 back dressing, sure. and yeah. then you got some healthy, right. you know, guys in the stands. So right. at most, 96 jobs for people in this country. Right. So like Greg Hardy gets a second chance. McDonald got a second chance, and yeah. I, and I don't want to you know defend or or ram, rail against them that decision to bring them in, but there's more roster space to deal with. You can take a flyer on these guys more equally than you can take a flyer on a quarterback. So it's a touchy situation. Sure. I don't think he's getting completely blackballed, though. And I think he will sign. I do. I think he will get a job going into the season. I, I agree. I, I definitely think that come opening day, he will be on some team's roster. Mm-hmm. But I think you're you're spot on in that if he's your backup, he has to be a backup for a team that plays his style of football. You know, He's I'm not, not, not going to go to a New England and back up Tom Brady because... He's the kind of guy where you'd have to completely change your game plan and how right. you play. And so, like I said, like I think a Carolina would be good for him. Seattle would be a great place for him because I think him and Russell Wilson are very similar in the mm-hmm. way that they play the quarterback position. 
I think Russell Wilson does it a lot better. He's a, he's got a better you know head on his shoulders as far as how he sees the game. But still, they both are very good at using their legs to to keep a you know play extended. But yeah, he can't back up like an Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to back up Matt Tom Ryan Brady. Or Matt Ryan. Yeah, he's not going to back up Matt Ryan. But like I said, I think hands down, like Carolina would be a great yeah. place for him because I think him and Cam Newton are are two peas in a pod. He's not the same size as Cam Newton. He doesn't have quite the arm that Cam Newton has. But the way that they both play the game are very similar, and Carolina would not have to change at all. Whereas if Cam goes down now, who's their backup? What, Derek Anderson, I think, right now? That's a completely different game change right there for him. Scrap Derek Anderson, bring in Kaepernick. I think, you know, the last thing I'll say on this is his arm, his accuracy is not very good. He has regressed, we've seen, from that elite level. You know, and, and I think... I'm curious how much of that is... Last Teams year, though, catching on to yeah, him, or true. how much is that just him not having people to throw to, or the system changing on him? I mean, Chip Kelly would have played him more last year because I mean he was coaching. These guys are coaching for their jobs, so when, I don't sure. buy the idea that you're just going to sit someone just to sit them. Like yeah. the name of the game is winning. That's the job. That's what keeps people employed. That's right. And he had a couple of good games, but a lot of poor games. So that kind of skewed the numbers a little bit. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I do think people probably caught on to him. And unlike Russell Wilson, who used his arm, who was a selective runner, Kaepernick burst on the scene with a lot of light, with legs early, you know? Right. Well, and I think when you look at Russell Wilson and you look at Kaepernick, Russell Wilson is much better at going through his progressions yeah. than Kaepernick is. I mean, the one thing that I've always heard about Kaepernick is he's a one-read quarterback. Whether that's a fair assessment or not, it's hard to say, but... And that's sort of the knock on a lot of these guys coming out of college, though, mm-hmm. is that the, these college offenses are not designed to go through a, a, a one, two, three, four, or sometimes five receiver progression that yeah. you see in, you know, like a New England offense or or even like an, you know like an Oakland offense. Right. They're they're a quick quick read, get the ball out, yeah. and, and let's move on. We saw what Crabtree did when he got <laughs> to Oakland and played with Derek Carr. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I'm buying that he didn't have people to throw to, you know. We'll, we'll see. You know, we'll see. I mean, that's I true. Well, and Crabtree, it's funny. Like you notice, I'm just just gonna say this: that when Derek Carr throws Crabtree a uh, back corner fade, those are touchdowns. They're not interceptions. They're, they're okay. not. They're I not knocked down saying. by Richard Sherman or, or uh, incomplete. Yeah. I'm just okay. I'm just gonna throw that out there to all my Niners okay. friends and family out gotcha. there. <laughs> gotcha. All right, Chris Miller. I, I do want to just briefly run through quickly. Who do you think? It's going to sign these big-name free agents that are still out there. Running back position especially. AP and Charles, yeah. still out there. And you know what? I, I'm and thinking maybe Marshawn Lynch. Maybe Marshawn <laughs> Lynch. But if he's coming back, it's only to Oakland to replace Latavius so. Murray. Yeah. I think I'm okay with that. you got Charles and AP. <laughs> yep. Two teams that have been standing out for me. I like the Giants to make a move. They've been awfully quiet here. They need a running back, and they're, they're going for broke. Sure. And then the up-and-coming up Tampa Bay team which I think would fit more for what Jamal Charles is. Especially sure. how Doug Martin is probably going to be pushed aside in, in light of his recent troubles. Well, what about, I mean, Jamal Charles to a team like Pittsburgh, too, because he's mm-hmm. not a whole Man. lot different than, than a Le'Veon Bell. He's, he's not as elusive as a Le'Veon Bell. Would he do that, though? Would he, I, see, I don't know. When you go to a second fiddle to yeah, Le'Veon I mean, Bell? Yeah, that's a clear second fiddle. There's like... Why not? He's, he's up there in years. Mm. Less wear and tear in the body, yeah. less bang. 
And he's 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 such a great receiving back that I think that would Oh god, give be Ben a, another toy, you're gonna oh make me sick. <laughs> Put both of them in the backfield and let just them let them come out and Wester is just vomiting all over my kitchen. <laughs> right he said that, but no, I, it would fit well. I, I think AP to the Giants makes sense. Like I am it's my shot in the dark, just, I think. They just got Brandon Marshall. They really need AP too. Hey, it's the all ego team. Oh my god. Can you believe it? And the Raiders have to play them this year. I'm not looking forward to that. Jeez. I think um, yeah. it's tough though uh, because this this year's draft class is really running back heavy. I mean, they're saying that you can get guys first round. You're gonna be able to get guys second round. You might even be able to get a really good guy in the third round. Yeah. So I think if Jamal Charles and, and AP are gonna get signed, it might be post draft for yeah. sure. What about Garrett Blunt? Free agent as well. I believe he touchdowns last year. That surprises me that he's still uh, unsigned. But again, like, See, I, I think, think he'll I think, go first. I think he'll sign before the other two. I would you can get him for cheap. I would take Legarrette over both AP and Jamal Charles right now. And here's why: he he doesn't have the injury history that either of them have. I mean, look at it, both both AP and Jamal Charles are coming off of really bad injuries. And not only that, they're coming off multiple bad injuries. Mm. And AP's now blown out what both his knees, you know. And granted, he came back really well after that first knee injury. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, two thousand plus yards in a season when everyone thought he was done for. You know, so it'd be interesting to see what happens after this knee injury. But it's different when you when you, you know, wrecked both your knees as opposed yeah. to just one. But he is sort of a he is sort of a freak when it comes to healing. But. Legarrette, I mean, he's shown that he can be very versatile. He can he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a good oh, power yeah. runner, oh, yeah. and he's got surprising speed for a man his size. I mean, he's not gonna blow you away, but he's it's a big guy. Like people don't realize until they see him just how big. Like, he doesn't oh, look yeah. like a running back in street clothes. So oh yeah, maybe that's a Raider option if if Winch doesn't come out. Like, you guys need something. I would, One more back in there, maybe a draft, maybe well, it's Lynch, maybe it's, you know. I think the Raiders are going to ultimately end up addressing that in the draft. That's 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 my take on it, because I know as a fan, and also just Reggie McKenzie has said how much he loves the two guys they've already got right now. So that was part of the reason why they were willing to let Latavius Murray walk. But neither of them are really that power back that's going to get you yeah. those those short yards. They're going to get you those goal line stances. So God, Garrett Blunt, that would be I would be yeah, okay with that. See, sure. if you take Blunt or Lynch on a good deal, you can use that presumed draft oh, pick God. for yeah. more defense oriented picks. So and and uh, Lynch we'll is see. really good out of the backfield too yeah. as a receiving back. People yeah, don't. It's also good on the travel channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People people I think underestimate how good of a back he is. Uh, uh, for receiving as well. And that's sort of, I think, if, if the Raiders are going to pick someone, I think that's why AP doesn't go to the Oakland. Mm-hmm. Because the way their offense is run, that, that back has to be a good receiver. Yeah. You know, you look at that, that game that they played against Houston the first time they played Houston last year in, in Mexico City. It's a perfect example. You know, Crabtree and Cooper had, had pretty okay games. Not, Cooper, actually, Cooper didn't have a very good game, but Olawale yeah. <laughs> and Murray both wow. had amazing games. Crazy. Well, I do want to wrap this just talking a little bit about my Browns. Sure. I love the trade. I thought the salary dump to acquire uh, the number two pick. We had all this cap space that no one was going to sign for. Yeah. 
thought it was a smart move, a new age move for football. <laughs> Osweiler, whatever. Just I mean, it was funny how the press release was just like, we're so happy with this draft pick. And you we got really pissed at me when I talked about no, I was. I was a little upset. It's like it was, was a good even, move. I wasn't even trying to piss you off. <laughs> I was like, in, I was hearing it from all over. Like, oh wow, LeBron. You know, that's worse. It's worse when you get those like sarcastic. Oh, I finally did something good for a change. All I said was, what, you don't think Osweiler can be a franchise-changing quarterback? That's all I said. No, but I like what the Browns have been doing. Though. I don't know that the quarterback's in this year's draft. I really wanted Garoppolo, but I don't know if the Pats are going to part with him, which I don't they know what. I mean, I, I'm you can not... get Jacoby Brissett, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I'll think. But if Brady's going to play as long, half as long as he says he is, Garoppolo's just going to walk next year anyway. Yeah, so, I, I would if I was him. Tra- I would trade him now. Not just saying that as a Browns fan, just to get something before you get nothing. Well, then the it makes you wonder how much the, the Pats trust Jacoby Brissett if they're not willing to yeah. shop Garoppolo. Um, but Brissett looked pretty good this year, you know, in his time yeah. playing with, when Brady and Garoppolo were both out. Yeah, this, this quarterback class is, is not fantastic. Um, I know a lot of people are, are pretty hyped on, like, Deshaun Kaiser and, you know, Mr. Trubisky. We'll see. Yeah, I think a lot of people are thinking this is just going to be a stopgap year. Next year's quarterback class is supposed to be pretty good. And that's how I would approach it. I'm not really a huge fan of any of these quarterbacks, especially coming to a very bad team. So stopgap, make it work, Kessler, Osweiler, and just go from there. But I do want to keep Josh Gordon for a little bit. I'm back on the Josh Gordon train because you're going to get him for cheap. Yeah. It's a a low-risk move. It is. And you know what? It's low-risk, high-reward. And like I said, I like what the Browns have been doing. They they addressed, I think, to an extent, their biggest problem uh, last year, which was that offensive line. Mm-hmm. So now they just need to figure out that quarterback position. Their defense is already pretty solid. If they can just get an offense, you know, that can keep them in the game. Well, their defense was pretty bad last year, but the moves they made are in the right direction. And yeah. we're saying that, assuming that Miles Garrett's going to come in and that's going to be an impact player right off the hop. So I do think that they could be solid. I think the defense could be solid next year. You so you think it's definitely gonna be Miles Garrett going first of oh, all yeah. the Browns? I mean, come on, <laughs> from from freak. everything I've seen, yeah, he's, yeah, he is he is an athletic freak for sure. So I mean, we'll see. He's definitely one of those guys in the draft that I'm excited about. Jabril Peppers, I'm excited about. I, I think he might be there at 24 when the Raiders are picking. I would be ecstatic if he was. And you get one of those Ohio State secondary guys to get they follow you, help out that back line. Um, Lee Cooker's there at 24. I don't know if he will be. Yeah, well, some people yeah, are thinking, some, um, what's his name, Kevin King out of Washington yeah, might be, might be their guy yeah. at 24. And if he is anything like what people are describing as, sort of a Richard Sherman model. Marcus uh, Peters, yeah. Yeah, hey, I'd be all right with that. But if it comes down to him or Peppers, I mean, I would take Peppers mm-hmm. just for the sheer versatility of it. Yeah. You know. Well, it should be a fun draft season. Thanks again, Chris Miller, for coming on the show and talking about the Raiders. And it's going to be a little awkward <laughs> for the next couple of years. But it's going to be weird, yeah. We'll see. But thanks again. We're going to get you back on here before the draft for sure. we got a lot to discuss yeah. there. You know, the draft I'm excited for the draft. You know, and this is, this is the first year where the Raiders have been good in a long time going to the draft. And I'm still excited about the draft, you know. It's fun, you know, especially like working on pieces for the draft. You get to know these guys and it gets you even more pumped. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's always going to be football season. I think that's our motto. Like, it's still. I think you football just came with the new NFL slogan right It's now. always going to be, yeah, it's always you know, football trademark. Season. Yeah, trademark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see.
All right, Chris, thanks again for joining the show, and uh, we will be talking soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Huge thanks to Chris Miller for coming on the show, and, and I thank all the guests, but I really want to thank Chris. He, he didn't have to talk about this topic. I know it's a sensitive one. You know, he'll get through it. He's still going to be supporting his Raiders, but it's a little awkward now. But a good discussion on that, as well as Colin Kaepernick and other NFL free agency. Thanks to Chris Miller for that. Now it's time to switch gears, talk a little hoops and tennis. Todd Robinson, the speed burner, back again. Back by popular demand, so to speak. But Todd Robinson is back on the show. We're going to talk hoops. Thoughts on the Cavs struggles, the Warriors regaining form, the Rockets not going away, Harden or Westbrook in the MVP race, some statistical outliers in the NBA, and then we're going to talk tennis at the end of the show. Roger Federer still going strong, uh, some inconsistencies with the other top players, Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray losing early this year and experiencing some injuries. And we're going to talk about the future of the game as well. You're not going to want to miss that. It's Todd Speedbird Robinson on the Money Mitch Effect. Here it is. Now joining us on the line on the Money Mitch Effect, recurring guest on the show, Todd Robinson. Todd Speedburner Robinson, thanks for joining the show again. Hey, happy to be back uh, in the, on the Mitch Effect. Todd, it's, it's good to be talking basketball with you yet again, and hard to believe we're in the single-digit games now. The playoffs are going to get started pretty soon. I think this is the part of the season when we start to just kind of nitpick with teams. A lot of the playoff field is set. There's still some jostling for position. But Todd, I'll start with this. Is there anything specific you kind of look for this time of year? I mean, playoffs are, are around the corner. Is there something that you look for at the basketball this time of, of year from the teams that we think could be contenders? Clearly, you want to see at this point how the, the core, say, six to seven guys are um, you know, functioning on the court. You know, are they pretty cohesive and are they healthy first of all you know you got KD with the Warriors you want to be healthy but uh, you want to kind of be gelling uh, you were, we're what, nine eight games away from the end of the regular season so you just kind of look to be cohesive and gelling and you don't necessarily have to be on a you know winning nine out of ten winning streak but you want to be taking care of business certainly against uh, the mid-tier and lesser tier teams and um, show that you can remain competitive with the top top talent, top squads. And I, I'm glad you brought that up, being at least competitive. I know you might not be going for, for the jugular, going for broke, getting wins if you've already got some things taken care of. Let's start, Todd, with the defending champions, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I know every year this time, especially on a LeBron James team, we're reminded it doesn't really start to the playoffs. But Todd, this team's looked very bad. They've now lost. They lost the Bulls again tonight, who completed a season sweep of them, four games. Then the Bulls went over the Cavs. They've lost ten games in the month of March. They have a losing record in their division now, seven and eight. Uh, is all going to be fine come playoff time, or is there major concerns with this team for you? You know, I, I certainly don't think you can just assume all will be fine in two and a half, three weeks. You know, because you look at. There are holes there. Uh, you know, Kevin Love is, he fouled out in 21 minutes tonight. Six fouls, 21 minutes. He grabbed 10 rebounds. But, uh, you know, he, he's a defensive liability, and he's, he seems to be a bit erratic. You know, LeBron, it just he, he got a lot more rest, I think, last year than this year. So is he going to be tapped out a bit? You know, 
because now he has to expend energy trying to turn around this um, slide that they've been on. Ten losses in the month of March already. You know, he's got to expend extra energy to kind of turn the ship around before then expending playoff energy. So it's not a good sign, and I don't think you can take anything for granted. And you look at how well and maybe maybe a little bit deeper, maybe not as strong up front, but a little deeper some of the other Eastern teams are. And I think it's uh, it's definitely red flag time in Cleveland, I think. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked during the San Antonio game. They, the bench is just not giving them anything. They didn't get bench score until the final two minutes of the third quarter were their first points. But even bigger than that, Todd, defensively they've been getting just gashed left and right, giving up 100, 115, 120-plus points in multiple games. I wonder if it's them out of sync or, Todd, quite frankly, the, the personnel. I mean, Kevin Love... Kyrie Irving, they added Darren Williams, Kyle Korver. I mean, these aren't great defenders. How good should we expect this defensive unit to be when guys like that are playing big minutes? Exactly. What, you got Iman Shumpert, Tristan Thompson, you know, and then LeBron. Mm -hmm. So you got three guys who can be above average for their position defensively. But and if you're going to ask LeBron to really expend a lot of energy, well, by the way, he carries your offense and facilitates and it's a lot on those big shoulders of his. So, yeah, you know, they, they've got problems. And, you know, you look at, I really like the Wizards. I think they're pretty well balanced to, to make a threat. You know, they only have 13 losses in 2017 since January 1st. Yeah. And as I pointed out, Cleveland's got 10 this month. So they've got some issues. And when they, you know, midseason or late season tried to address a few, you know, they got Kyle Korver for help and Deron Williams for facilitation help. Well, like you pointed out, that's not going to help them stop uh, stop scoring, really. And I wonder, too, Todd, about not having this number one seed. The Celtics have, I think, a game or a half-game lead now on the Cavs for that number one seed. The Wizards are close. The Raptors are fourth. You know, if Lowry comes back, they can throw their hat into the race, but... What do you think about the seeding for the top of this conference? Cleveland, does it matter to them that they get number one? And, and on the flip side, could a team like Washington or Boston or even Toronto have something to gain by getting a higher seed? Well, you look at the bottom, and for sure, uh, you know, well, and now Miami, you, you, they're kind of hot and, and potentially dangerous with such a, a dominant big man. And, um, Guys like Josh Richardson, finally kind of healthy, kind of been in and out of the lineup a bit, bit dinged up this year, but showed a lot of promise as a rookie and has flashed this year. So Miami's kind of dangerous, but I think Indy is someone you'd want to run into. I think Milwaukee, you know, has been playing a lot better than, say, um, the first two-thirds of the season, but I think Milwaukee's someone you wouldn't mind bumping into at this stage in their development. So... You have the home court, so the, 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 top, the, the big thing would be, hey, at least your home court, you know, potentially meeting someone lesser. Though I think Miami's going to draw some worries, uh, whoever they end up facing in round one. Right, if you're Cleveland, you don't really worry about home court, you just want to play good basketball, you have LeBron, you have Kyrie, you can win a road playoff game, they've done it before time and time again. Boston getting the top seed could be big for them, having having the advantage over some of these teams. But you know, I'm with you, Todd. I think Miami is a buzzsaw. You really don't want to play them. And this Washington team, if they can find a way to get past Cleveland, bump Cleveland down to three. And then you have the Wizards team and, and Wizards-Cavs matchup with the Wizards having home court in the second round. 
I mean, that could be an amazing series because I do think the Wizards might be Cleveland's biggest threat at this time of the season right now. Yes, as a monster John Wall fan, um, I am a fan of that team too. And, you know, by the way, John Wall, it's totally under the radar because of what Westbrook and Harden are doing at the point guard position. But John Wall is also joining the 2010 club, 20 points and 10 dimes. And, you know, before these three, only nine guys in history had ever done 20 points, 10 dimes. That's nine guys in NBA history, like starting with Oscar. It's insane. And, And Todd, too, what I like about Wall he gets up for big games. He gets pissed off when he plays Kyrie Irving or Russell Westbrook. He, he wants to show the world that he belongs and he can play just as good or better than them. Oh, he had a monster game in the upset over uh, Cleveland a few, what, week ago, whatever mm-hmm. that was, a few nights ago. But, um, so yeah, so he's doing something really impressive. And, you know, even guys notoriously inconsistent, like Markieff Morris, has been pretty solid this year. Uh, you know, like 14 points, six and a half boards, 45, 46%, you know, like just solid, yeah. you know, contributory stuff, and he's been healthy, which, you know, is key. And then Kelly Oubre has really developed in the latter half of the year, giving them more depth. The Bogdanovich ad, he's been scoring 13 a game for that them. That was off a the great bench. trade. That was a great trade for them to get him. They needed that extra wing player. Yeah, I think this is a fun team, and with how Beal's been shooting, just set the, the franchise record for threes in the season, I think they could be something interesting. And, I, and I'm still, Toronto's a team where, you know, you got to worry about Lowry. you got to worry about what he's going to be like and, and if they can get him back. But it could be interesting. I think the East might be more interesting than it's been the last couple of years. I, I still obviously have to put Cleveland the favorite, but it might be a little more interesting at the top. I think for sure they have a rougher path now out of the East than we would have talked about in December and certainly than what we would have talked about, say, on opening night. A lot rougher path, without a doubt. Well, Todd Robinson, Money Mitch Effect, let's go to the Western Conference. And the hottest team in basketball, no surprise in the grand scheme of things, it's the Golden State Warriors. They are the first of 60 wins, Todd. They've won nine straight Doing this without Kevin Durant and doing it in the face of some interesting numbers as this hasn't been Steph Curry's best year. But they've gotten back on track by playing a lot similar to how they played in the previous two years. No Durant, Curry and Klay Thompson heavy, but they've been getting the job done and they've reasserted themselves as the alpha male Todd in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah, they're back to playing good ball, doing it without KD. I think having him back is still so key for them. I think they will struggle just because they're not as you know deep as they were a year ago. We talked about that, I think, on the prior show because of adding KD. So you really, he needs to be back and, you know, at least 90% of KD um, at his top game. But yeah, they, they just, you don't worry about them. But, but as you pointed out with Curry, you know, his percentages have really slipped you know, from 50% to 46 shooting, and on threes, you know, the last four or five years, he's been 42, 44, 45% from distance. He's 39.9 this year, which is a respectable, you know, 40% average, but, you know, you wouldn't expect that because you add KD, you have more open looks, right? So I think maybe um, 
massive statistical outlier years, the last couple of years, what he did, especially mm-hmm. last year, obviously. You know, he's not even in the top 10 in scoring this season. Yeah, it's he, insane. Outside of the top 10. But, yeah, they're still the class of the West. Though I think um, you look below them, and I think Houston has risen in the last few months a lot more than people thought they would. Yeah, I, I still think, obviously, the West is going to go through Golden State, and there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be adjustments whenever super teams are formed. I think Curry's had an off year by his standards, but... He's the type of player that could turn it on in the playoffs and be fine. And if Durant is able to play at a healthy level, this team will be an absolute juggernaut in the playoffs. But then you get to the next tier of teams, and really, I mean, there's only two teams that could give them, I think, could give them a series. You're talking about San Antonio and Houston. We'll start with Houston because you, you're right. They have risen in the last couple of months. I'd say more than that maybe, Todd. They haven't faded away. We thought it might have been flashed in the pan. But Houston stayed in the mix. We know about Harden's season. But they're scoring, three-point shooting, but they're scoring off the bench, especially after the addition of Lou Williams has been staggering. That was a great little ad. And you talked about them, are they a flash in the pan? And I think the development of Clint Capella in the middle, they knew they had an athlete who could defend, rebound blocks, but he's been a better scorer, and he's really kind of developed a little offensive repertoire, you know, right around the hoop. He's kind of like, you know, Gobert in that regard, just not as tall. But, um, you know, he's developed, which, you know, he's a young guy. I think it's his third year in the league. And, you know, you get those guys developing, and he's at that point in his career where you're on kind of a steep learning curve, and he's a different player now than, say, he was in November, which, you know, is always exciting. You know, it's like he's getting better by the day. So Houston's real dangerous. Interesting thing with the with their rise, I, I checked out, I did a little research. Houston was sixty to one to win it all Whoa. in early February. February sixth, they were sixty to one. They are now fifteen to one. While the Spurs were six to one then and thirteen to two now. So they haven't really budged while Houston has, you know, suddenly people are saying they're believing. And like and the guys who play the big money and, you know, set the lines and know what they're talking about, uh, they believe more now than six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. I mean, you look at the Spurs team, and you always got to appreciate what Greg Popovich does. Kawhi Leonard's been an absolute stud this season. you got to wonder, though, against a team like the Warriors, I mean, even the Rockets, do they have the fresh legs? Do they have enough scoring? It's going to be fascinating, Todd, to see this, Spurs, this edition of the Spurs in the playoffs. No doubt, because, you know, they're suddenly relying, you know, to to supplement the older legs on their team and supplement all that they asked Kawhi Leonard to do. You know, he's a, he's a heavily taxed guy. Mm-hmm. They've got some young players like Simmons and then Kyle Anderson who kind of have to step up. And Dwayne Dedman's actually stepped up the the USC center. He's, he's at 17 minutes a game, probably higher than that, I would say, in the last 25-30. They've got to have some relatively unproven guys kind of prove themselves that they can hang with the athleticism because as OKC showed them in the playoffs last year, it was certainly a vulnerable spot uh, for them. So it's interesting. I don't, San Antonio, Houston, I think it's a lot closer between those two than um, people might think. For sure. And we know Popovich and D'Antoni are not strangers to one another in a big-time playoff series. Well, Todd Robinson, Speed Burner, Money Mitch Effect, I want to get your thoughts on this issue, and that's the MVP. It's 
you know, whittled down. I, I have a lot of appreciation for Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. We know who he is, but it's pretty much now I would say down to a two horse race. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Who would you pick to hoist that trophy? I would definitely pick Russell Westbrook. Um, and okay. I know, first of all, I get really bothered when people like point to the team's record and this and that. And it's the most valuable player. So by definition, who is most valuable to his team? Well, probably in the history of the league, nobody has ever been more valuable to their team in terms of with him versus without him, than Russell Westbrook this season. Yeah. Uh, the numbers really kind of play it out. If you normalize stats for the pace that the NBA plays at today in terms of number of possessions each team, each game, if you normalize the stats, no one in the history of the league, including Oscar when he was you know, averaging a triple-double, no one's ever done what Westbrook's doing. Uh, and even if you don't normalize the stats... His 31.8 points a game, that's the 26th best season in NBA history, just scoring. And he's adding a triple-double to that. And just last night, the most points ever in a triple-double, I was watching the end of it. Uh, just just the overtime. The last four minutes of overtime yeah. is all I caught. But he had a drive where he went to his right, spun 360, goes left, then to his left, then he switched hands as he jumped in the air to his left hand, laid the ball in. By the way, this is all at top speed. Wow. And overtime in a game where he scored 50 points and triple-doubled already, and he makes the layup. And it was clutch. And it was like a clutch moment to expand their lead in overtime and really give them a cushion. So one little play, just a microcosm of how mm -hmm. ridiculously amazing his season has been this year. So I, I understand the the way you're interpreting the award most valuable player strictly adding value to your team, but Todd, are you at all concerned that in the last 35 years they haven't given this award to somebody outside of a top three seed? Because that's where I'm at with Harden probably getting the nod here based on at least how they voted in the past for this award. Well, you threw a curveball at me with that stat. That is quite interesting there, Mitch. Um, son of a gun. Well, I'll be honest with you. First of all, it's a crime that the two of them are having the seasons they're having the same season. True. No, I agree with that. Because That's the biggest crime of all of this because yeah. both of them are better than probably 90% of, of all the MVP seasons in the history of the league. Like, both mm -hmm. these seasons are better. So that's a crime. But um, I... I do think there's such a bias to the winning that it wouldn't shock me if Mr. Triple Double doesn't win it. Uh, of course, Harden, I think, has had like 20 this season, like something absurd, because yeah. he's eight rebounds a game, and that's his lowest number. He's leading the league at 11.4 dimes. So, you know, I understand. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I just think to not give it to him is like, wow, you know, what the hell does a guy have to do? <laughs> exactly, and, and I'm not... I go hard in here. I respect Westbrook. I'd like him to win it too. I know we can't have two, and, and I think there is a value. I think it's because there's that valuable quality player on a team that is winning. Harden's stats are, are not Westbrook's. No one's are historically in the history of the game, Todd. But they're close enough to what he's doing on a team where he is the focal point there. You know, the rebounds don't measure up, but just about everything else does. And I go hard, and it's a tough call. The Rockets oh, not fading you're down being the stretch. Harder on Harden's stats than you need to be. Yeah. His stats alone in a vacuum 
not a lot of guys in the history of the league have yeah. done 29, 8, and 11. I, I, I don't, in fact, tell me someone who has. I, I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous what both of them are doing. I think Westbrook, and I think it, like an extra clincher for me, and the guys on NBA TV were talking about it last night, the energetic level that he plays at, yeah. to sustain that just physically is mind-boggling. Just to have that kind of energy over the course of four quarters, an overtime if necessary, and never even ponder missing a game. You know, they talked about him being the greatest conditioned athlete, forget about the sport, whatever, they've ever seen in their lives, you know. So it's just freaky what he's doing this year. It is, it's, And I know his shooting percentage isn't great, 42-5, but my Lord, look at his teammates. Andre Roberson popped a three-pointer last night. It just sailed to the left and didn't even ponder touching backboard rim anything. Oh, my God. The announcers were all kind of quiet and like, and then I think it was uh, Matt Weiner who said it. That's a tough one to rebound there because it just went straight out of bounds. It, so it's it's interesting. And it's just, you know, who knows what they'll do in the playoffs, but it's just so fun to watch one man just be a Tasmanian devil out there for all 48 minutes. It's a tough call for voters. There isn't a wrong choice, but somebody's going to leave feeling like they, they should have got the award. And, uh, yeah, I don't envy well, people. Well, runner-up in M- MVP history, right? Okay, yeah, easily, easily. Well, you know, we, we've had a few, like, I guess maybe robberies. Barkley missing out on the MVP the year Magic got it, Carmel and over Jordan. But this is just going to be a, a tough case for whoever doesn't get it because they're both Actually, so worthy. I'll tell you what, in terms of whoever doesn't get it, um, I, I got to check myself there because Michael Jordan in 88-89 did not win it. And he was 32-5-8-8, like led the league in steals at two and a half, had close to a block a game and was just Michael Jordan. So, and he didn't win the MVP. I think Magic got it. So I will say that in that season, I, I saw a list was like one of the greatest ever non-MVP years in history, I think Will Chamberlain had the other. Yeah, it's the MVP debate is always fascinating, and this year it is the same. Well, Todd, I guess from one of the most loaded classes of an award to one of the worst, let's talk Rookie of the Year right now, because that's the other award I wanted to talk about. And we thought we'd have this immaculate year with all of these young players, but injuries, poor performance, questionable coaching decisions. i got to be honest, Todd, it's a little thin out there at Rookie of the Year. The 2016 draft class, um, let's just say they've been kind of slow to adjust, um, and we haven't even seen, you know, Mr. Simmons in Philly. So, like, none of them really are competing. Brogdon's been a pleasant surprise, but rookie of the year to a second rounder, my God, that's a statement right there that he's even in the discussion. So, I think you got to go back to a few drafts ago. It was the MB draft when. Philly took Sarek also in a trade with Orlando that on draft night. Embiid has only played 31 games. And while he's no doubt the very best rookie who's been on the floor this season, you cannot give it to a guy who's played in three-eighths of the games. That's just, you know, that's just silly. That, that, what kind of a help is that? He's not there for you half the time or even close to half the time. Yeah. So I, I think Sarek, the way he's come on, Looks versatile. Um, I have to um, admit to not having seen too much of him, but you see those box scores, and you know he's scoring, he's grabbing boards, he's dishing the rock. So the guy's a nice little Swiss Army knife, it seems. So 
your big question is, wait a second, isn't that Simmons? So it's like, have <laughs> yeah. to duplicate it? Exactly. I mean, I think Simmons is, is, I mean, we haven't seen him play in an NBA regular season game, but you'd think a stretch four. And yeah, it's a little curious. It's, it's curious, but if any team knows how to easily get rid of a, a reigning rookie of the year, it's the Philadelphia 76ers. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. I would go. I would go. Sarich. He, he he plays the game well. I think he does. Like you said, a little bit of everything. He'll bang inside. He can step out and shoot. But it's tough out there. I, I just wanted to bring that up before we segue into our next topic, Todd. Before we we move on to tennis to wrap this up on the Money Mitch effect, Todd. Some guys again this year have had statistical outbreaks of seasons. We I like to check in with you on guys that are tearing it up, maybe under the radar or have been surprise bloomers. And the first guy I'm going to ask about before I open the floor up to you is how Portland was able to get Nurkic and have him be a beast and ultimately be the reason why they're probably going to make the playoffs now. Yeah, yeah. He's freed up from playing alongside Jokic, who's been unbelievable, a total revelation in Denver. Um, But... uh, I, and it was kind of bold because they traded Mason Plumley away, who was doing, you know, a pretty decent job uh, for them. So yeah, he's really boosted them. Lillard, C.J. McCollum's had an under the radar stellar season. And another thing, statistically, I checked it out, and just three seasons ago, only five guys averaged 25 points a game. And this season, we have uh, 12 guys averaging 25 points a game. So there's been a lot of under the radar. I mean, Anthony Davis is having a monster year. His best ever scoring average, 27.9, along with everything else he does, which is, of course, you know, heavy boards and blocks and steals. You know, he's got 12 rebounds a game to go with that. I think the 12 rebounds is a career high. Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, has... He kind of had a semi-slow six-week start, but since then, oh boy, he has really put in just a boatload of fat stat lines. Kawhi Leonard has, you know, Lillard's almost 27 a game. DeRozan is 27 a game. Isaiah's maybe the shortest guy to ever average 29 (laughs) points a game in the history of the league. I can't imagine anyone shorter who's averaged 29. So there's been just, you know, and then the Greek freak who on any given night will do everything. Like every single stat category is filled. And and to watch the Greek freak do it the way he does it, boy, is he a long-limbed, agile wonder. So, yeah, it's been statistically just, well, you have three guys who joined, who who did the the 2010 feat, 20 points, 10 Mm -hmm. assists. Well, you have... Only 22 seasons in history before this year have guys had 20 points and 10 assists, and you have three guys do it this year, Wall, Harden, and Westbrook. So statistically, it's going to be remembered as just one of the either bizarro seasons of all time, or it's like a new standard, the way they're playing and the way these athletes are for the next four or five years. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's it's a good time for basketball. And I will mention, too, Todd, you are on... You're on the ground floor grassroots campaign with getting Thon Maker more minutes in Milwaukee. So you'll be his driving force for hopefully a long career. You know, I feel lonely in my Thon Maker love, but all you have to do is go to the internet and you put in Thon Maker and there's he's got like a diehard cult following. Yeah. Who and everybody every one of them has the same question. 
why start him if you're only going to play him like nine or ten minutes a game? It's very perplexing that kid won't because he'll have a lot of like quiet, like well, nothing got done in nine minutes. But then he'll have these nights. His last game, I think he had four assists, you know, and then he'll have a couple blocks in a game. He he blocked Rudy Gobert twice in the opening five minutes of a game against Utah. I think it was about a month ago. But he, he does these flashy things, you know, like four assists the other night. He drains threes. He's had three threes in a game, I think, twice now. So he, he's flashed these different abilities. you got to get him at power forward. He's just really beaten up and banged around as skinny. And, you know, he's got to get his core strength up to, to play center. But, you know, longer term, I still think, wow, they, they got themselves. When you look at the rest of that draft, he could easily be the best player out of the 2016 draft. It's crazy, but it could be true. Well, I, I hope it works out for you, and I hope that Thon Maker does get some time, because the Bucks could be a fun squad to look at. Me, Thon, and all the Twitter lovers <laughs> yeah. who follow him. You're gonna, every yeah, minute. Every day. You might be the first person he hugs if he wins the championship. I don't know. But all right. We're gonna, I can keep floor seats for that one. Yeah. Well, Todd Robinson, Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, we can't go without talking about tennis. It's the Miami Open right now. The women's final is set. The men's semifinals will be played tomorrow. One of the guys in it, you know, the guy that keeps going around in 2017, Roger Federer. Todd, we talked about Federer the last time we were on the show on the eve of his final. We didn't know it was Nadal. We knew it would be Nadal or Dimitrov. And we thought, okay, this is a guy that might have one, one or two more good matches, good tournaments left in the tank. Did anybody see this coming, him being the dominant player of 2017, bar none? Yeah, um, let's just, no. I mean, I think the backhand has improved. So you kind of scratch your head that anything can materially improve when a guy's in his mid-30s. You know, he turns 36 this summer, but the backhand is clearly better. He's, he's very smart. He knows, look, I'm not going to chase balls around for 12, 15, 18 ball rallies. You know, I'm going to... So he's smartly aggressive. He's, he's almost hyper-aggressive. But, you know, he's pulling it off. He's just... He's so damn coordinated. His hand-eye coordination is still elite, hyper-elite. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's able to take these balls even earlier and be more aggressive on his one hand. Or he's talked about it. So, you know, hats off to the GOAT. That, that's all you can really say. And he's got a great semifinal, yeah, with Kyrgios that, uh, well, we missed it. I was actually at, at Indian Wells hoping to see him play Kyrgios in the quarters. I'm up there in the Wells Fargo box, and, uh, you know, Kyrgios bowed out, and we got an exhibition between Pospisil and Tommy Haas instead. <laughs> Talk about you from down. Yeah. Tommy Haas putting on a show for the fans. What else is new? But... Yeah, Federer's game, I mean, to improve his backhand, to really find it, where in 2012, 2013, and even in the last couple of years when he's done well, he didn't have this backhand. i got to give a lot of credit to Lubacic for working with him, but Federer just being, you know, the greatest ever, being resourceful, and, and taking advantage of a scene that we'll get to uh, in, a, in a few moments that has an opening for him. But you mentioned this semifinal against Kyrgios that... We're pretty sure now they are going to play. They didn't play their matchup the last time in the quarterfinals. I'm excited for this because Kyrgios has shown, to me, the only level of tennis that can, and I don't want to undersell Nadal, but he did get destroyed by Federer at at Indian Wells. But Kyrgios at his peak could definitely make things interesting for Roger. 
you know, you look at what Kyrgios did to Djokovic in Acapulco and then at Indian Wells. I watched, like, the latter half of the second set and all of the third set today versus Zverev. Kyrgios is playing unbelievable tennis right now. He, the, he, the level he's playing at is top five in the world right now. It's just what I saw today. Um, and by the way, Zverev is almost a definite lock to be winning slams four, five, six years from now, two, three years from now. Mm. He, he's got a load of talent. His defense just shocks me at, at, at his size. Yeah, Jesus, he's so well. But, um, you know, I mean, Kiros, he still has these moments where he chooses these shots, and you're like, are you kidding me? He set point down, and he went for a tweener, which on a very gettable ball <laughs> yeah. today. So, you yeah. know, he does funny things, but these two guys who just played today, Zverev and, and Kyrgios in the quarters, I think the two of them, and you always, the caveat is, does Nick keep his head and keep focused and, you know, keep a burning desire to, to be his best in the sport? I think Zverev has that. I don't think you have to worry about it. He's such a solid team. His dad and his brother are around him. and good coach. I think Zverev, I think his head is a mortal lock to be fine, which to me, you add that to the talent and size and power that he has. And his backhand is beautiful. He's, he's, he's just, wow. The, the <laughs> two of them, I saw some Monfils in Kyrgios, and I saw some Djokovic in Zverev when wow. I was watching the match today. Zverev, his defense, he can slide well. He's just really agile for such a tall guy. The two of them make the sport really interesting coming for the next 10, 12 years, I think. We'll see what happens in the Kyrgios Federer match. Federer almost lost to Burditch today. You know, you know he can't win every tournament, but if Kyrgios can stay focused, you do wonder about those moments where maybe he tries something stupid and then a guy like Federer can just attack and, and find a weakness and, and get the break. It should be a fun match to watch. And, and I mentioned an opening for Roger. He's playing great tennis. But the climate's not what it was years ago. Djokovic is in a funk, battling injury. Murray's battling injury. Nadal's playing well, Todd, but he's not at that slam-winning level. It's a curious time for the top of the men's game. And, you know, it's interesting. You say Nadal's not at a slam-winning level. He was up a break in the fifth, uh, you know, two <laughs> months ago to yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. but, so it's just amazing what we, you know, saw from Nadal in his prime, how good he was. But, but I totally... I get what you're saying. This is not Nadal 2010, but it's a tough guy who's still athletic, still got you know a good amount of gas in the tank that we kind of thought 12 months ago he didn't have in the tank. So, but you're right. It's very transitional, I think, in tennis right now. The big four is kind of in name only. I don't even know what to make of Murray's season. You know, he came in so hot to 2017. He dominated the fall. I think he had a 20-plus match win streak, lost in the finals of the Aussie tune-up to Joker, then bowed out of the Aussie to Zverev's big brother, Misha. You know, won Acapulco, and then he, you know, poor results in Indian Wells again. I don't know what it is with him in the desert. He is contagious. He is allergic to Indian Wells, clearly. But, um, yeah, it's very transitional. Joker, you know, th there's a lot of... Let's just say there's lots of family issues there that are weighing heavy on him right now. That is for sure. So, yeah. because I've watched his matches, I'm a big fan. I'm one of his biggest fans. But, and he has all the physical. It's not that he's you know six weeks shy of his thirtieth birthday and therefore showing the signs. He still looks. 
he still makes returns of serve that no one else really makes. He's still super quick, athletic. It's all that agility. It's all really kind of right there still. So it's just, he's, you know, he's not zoning in on, he's losing a bit of his offensiveness. He's playing too much defense in rallies, way too much defense. And then, you know, just kind of missing shots he didn't used to miss. So it's all upstairs and family life. Yeah. I don't know what the injury was. I, and I don't know how severe it was because he's playing Davis Cup coming up very soon. So I don't. But yeah, it's very transitional, and I think Fed's making the most of it. The young guys like Zverev and Kyrgios maybe not ready to win slams this year. So could Fed seize another slam, number nineteen? God, it's very possible, really. <laughs> it's insane, but it's so true. And uh, I think it it hurts to see some of the top guys on their way down. But yeah, you like the fact that Kyrgios and Zverev maybe a. Uh, a Dominic team or a Grigor Dimitrov who had that good match against Nadal can make a run to that next level and, and be the next generation. Well, Todd Speed, Bernard Robinson, last thing before we wrap this up. I want to bring this up to you today because I know you're a tennis guy and we, we don't talk about the doubles that much. But today, one of your least favorite sporting uh, tag teams, the Bryans, they lost to a Jack Sock team. And Justin Gimbelstab made a comment on our air that I thought was interesting. I wanted your comment on. He said he thinks that Jack Sock is the best doubles player in the world. Well, and he and he brought it up because of, of the run he made with a partner a little substandard. How if he is focused on playing doubles, he thinks he could be the best in the world. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know, it's interesting on the surface, but not too far fetched. You know, I noticed. I actually noticed that they had that head to head. I didn't know that the Brian brothers. Which of course warmed my heart, but who was his partner, Sox partner? Because I did notice that it was a total like do a guy a favor, play with him in the doubles kind of a partnership. Yeah. So just to kind of rehash the story, it you know how he always plays with Pospisil, and it was supposed to be Pospisil, Pospisil not playing. It was Monroe. It was Eagleton with Pospisil, right? Yeah. It was Monroe. Monroe, exactly, who's not even a doubles fixture on the tour, right? If he's I'm not, not yeah, he's not really a fixture on the tour. So Sack beat the Bryans in straight sets with Monroe. That's, that's mm. almost like taking a teaching pro off the street and saying, yeah, you know the Bryan brothers? Like, oh, Mr. Twin everything, doubles, blah, blah, blah. Let's kick their butt. Um, so, you know, Justin, hey, Justin knows his tennis, so I respect that comment. And, you know, certainly a singles player is – you know, usually two, three times better athlete than a doubles player. So right away, he's got that. He's kind of playing at a top 10 level in singles because he made, what, the semis at Indian Wells. He made the quarters uh, here um, in Miami. So, you know, you take a top 10 singles guy and he has double skills and is proven it with, you know, the Grand Slam hardware. Yeah, I would totally agree with Justin. Definitely, why not? Well, I thought it was interesting. Wanted your comments on that. Jack Sock, who had the loss to Nadal, but is making a run at doubles, and you know maybe he could be a dual threat. We'll have to see. American but, tennis. But Mitch, that means that the Bryan brothers couldn't do a chest bump. No, I know you're gonna lose sleep at night. Uh, you know, so I'm missing, sad. I'm missing out on that, but that's I think well, our cue. This on such a down note. I know. I think that's our cue. Yeah, I know. I left you sad. I'm sorry about that. Well, Todd Speed, Bernard Robinson, thanks for joining the show. We'll have to do this again as we get the playoff season of hoops. I know you'll be ready for some takes and some thoughts on that. 
Always fun, um, and you can reach me at, at speedburner with no vowels, S-P-D-B-R-N-R. That's the Twitter. I haven't tweeted much lately, but we got the playoffs coming up, and i got to get, get alive on that. And then, of course, uh, speedburnersports.com. Great to, to be here, Mitch. Always fun. For sure. Well, Todd Robinson, thanks again for joining the show. Look forward to having you again on the Money Mitch Show. Great. See you, Mitch. Big thanks to both our guests on today's show, Chris Miller and Todd Speedbird Robinson, for taking time, making an appearance on the show, talking a little sports with me. Much appreciated. And a reminder that you can find all the episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search. It pops right up. Very convenient. You can even subscribe or, or, or leave a review. Whatever you feel. Do what you like, as Digital Underground would say. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo, Tim Adams for supplying the beats. Big week of shows next week. Got another interview coming up. I'll, I'll leave you on a cliffhanger for that. We're going to be talking about the NCAA title game. We'll, we'll try to get a preview out on Monday and look at hockey, NHL season almost uh, at the end of the road there. Voice the Men reference. Soon, we another musical reference. This is great. But thanks again for listening. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Hope you enjoy your weekend. I am Mitch Michael. Lots of good sports to choose. Hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you next time.